Galatians chapter number 1. I'm going to talk about the 180 and the journey God takes us on very often. And this is what Paul is saying. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. Of course, raised as a Jew, as educated as any could be, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. So in his zeal, without knowledge, he embarked on a religious mission to wipe out Christianity from Judaism. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul understood what it meant to become caught up in traditions more than relationship with God. Same issue Jesus had with people when he said, your traditions have made God's word of no effect. Hmm. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, so God's destiny was at play here. Paul is recognizing that. To reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. In other words, I didn't talk to anybody. God had me on an assignment, and he was the only one I was going to confer with. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia, the deserts, and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. So, Father, thank you for the Lord's Day. Thank you for life. Thank you for your amazing word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who brings us revelation, who illuminates to each of us what we need to know, not only here, but apply, so that we might live pleasing to you in our day-to-day walk. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Sometimes your journey toward God's plan will take you in the opposite direction. It'll seem like you've just done a 180, a complete reversal. You're headed south when you should have been headed north. And why? He's doing a work to prepare you for what he's called you to do. And Saul, whose name has been changed to Paul, was persecuting Christians. And I don't mean just name-calling, imprisoning them, torturing them, sentencing them to death. And when Christians were persecuted in Paul's day, they would be burned alive. There were crucifixions. They would bind Christians in very large sacks that enclosed were poisonous snakes. And then they would throw them bound in those sacks with snakes into the river. They were fed the lions. And Paul confessed, I destroyed the lives of people. I persecuted the church. I did everything I could to wipe out the church. I tortured. I killed. Historians tell us that it was Paul who was standing there holding the coats of those who were stoning to death the deacon Stephen in the book of Acts. Paul had blood on his hands. On the road to Damascus, to further imprison, persecute more Christians, Paul has an encounter with Jesus Christ. He's knocked off his horse. He's blind for three days. He's humbled and broken. He's heard the voice of Jesus. He's seen the resurrected Savior. He's forever changed. 
He doesn't know what to do next. But God was speaking to a follower of Jesus by the name of Ananias. God instructed Ananias to find Paul at a certain location. So the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Now, how would you like to be in the shoes of Ananias? He had to go to this persecutor who was armed by the empire of Rome and armed by the Jewish leadership of his day to a man who was a murderer and take him under his wing. Imagine God sending you to an imam, one who now claims to be born again, one who has tortured, kidnapped, killed people, assigned al-Qaeda operatives to go on suicide bombing missions to destroy every Christian and Jew in a locale. And now through a process, he claims he is born again, and he comes to Calvary Christian Center and is seated down front. Hmm. Beard and all. And the people toward the back for the first time have hands raised, and they're worshiping. Whoa! The people down here are probably keeping very close eye on this individual that has a reputation. But the man is studying God's word. He's praying. He doesn't miss a church service. And he needs to have someone take him home. And so I make an announcement and say, this man who now has come to know Jesus, who has murdered Christians, tortured them, and assigned their death warrants, listen, he has nowhere to go because nobody wants him. He's homeless, and he needs a place to go stay. Who of you would take him home? Would anybody please raise your hand? And there's where Ananias found himself. He imagine he has to go to Paul, a killer and a persecutor, and take him and minister to him. Now, Paul had not been already touched by the presence of Jesus, as gracious as he was to those Christians. Listen, those, those Christians that once he was after, now he wants to become a part of them. But in response to how they treated him, when they heard the news of his conversion, they weren't all happy clappy. Listen, the apostles said, we don't want you. We don't want to hear you speak. We don't trust you. You've killed constituents. You've killed family members of ours. Thanks, but no thanks. We don't buy it. Paul said, I didn't remain in Jerusalem. Well, I went to the deserts of Arabia, and he does this 180, complete 180. God had called him to go to Jerusalem. But first of all, God takes him in the opposite direction. He does a 180. And the detour lasted three years. Paul goes out into the wilderness for three years. He's alone. He's rejected. He goes from being a hero among the Jews, a hero among the Roman Empire, for arresting, torturing, imprisoning, and killing Christians. He is kind of the new kid on the block. He's had the best education at the feet of the most learned of all the Jews. The Pharisees applaud him, love him, are promoting him. He might have been the next high priest. I mean, this man was quickly moving to the top of the ladder and the best education under the best instructors, a straight A student of God's law. And boy, did he cross the T's and dot the I's. When he's born again, he's lost all of the credibility, all of his influence, and even his immediate family, 
Some historians say that it was that time his wife left him. All was gone. Connections, ambitions, aspirations, gone, totally. He's all alone in the desert, and God's taking him in the opposite direction of where he thought he should be going. His old acquaintances didn't want anything to do with him. He's abandoned. He could get up and sing all by myself, all by himself. And sometimes the experiences that hurt us the most are the ones that God will use to help us the most. So you were rejected. There have been seasons of brokenness, and you're turned onto a path that's taking you away from where you thought you should be headed because you want to go right to the miracle from where you are, right to the success, right to the high place, right to your Prince Charming, right to your destiny. But rarely will God take you directly there. Very rare. You want the right job, the right relationship, the right hair, the right dental work, the right body. You want to simply read the cliff notes on how to get to your purpose. And you want to make any bones about it, that's where I'm going. You're not interested in taking a detour to get to your destination. You don't want to go into the wilderness where God will work on your integrity and work on your character and develop the fruit of the Spirit. No, just let me get to the top. When God's going to do something powerful in your life, He will take you on a wilderness detour on your way to your destination. Mm. Okay. And that's why it gets quiet. Because you're not going to get fluff and puff. Okay? You're going to get truth. There are times you will suffer rejection. Say rejection. The word rejection means to refuse, to accept, to deny, to disregard as defective. That's how rejection impacts our emotions and impacts our psyche. To disregard is defective, to throw away. When you're rejected, you feel like a throwaway. And if you have ever been rejected by teammates or at times by members of a local body of believers, because, you know, everyone else is picked for a place on the team and you're still left standing there. I mean, you're the target of choice in a game of dodgeball. You know what I'm saying? Of course, that's not politically correct to play that anymore, Pastor Pat. You know that, right? Okay? You try out for the team. You wait for the list to be posted. Your name is not listed. Okay? You hear people talking behind your back. You feel rejected and dejected. You know, like some on American Idol, you feel the rejection of the voters saying, No, sorry, you're not qualified. But you go out and you learn and you're motivated and you study and you practice harder and you come back a year or two later and take it all. And while you may not be qualified to play on some athletic team, you might have a musical skill set. And that rejection in this one area now motivates you toward the correct destiny that God has for you because you've learned not going there but here's where God can use me and take me. And you get taken through the desert on your way to the palace. If you don't believe it, read the life of Joseph in the latter chapters of the book of Genesis. God will use what he has invested in you to open the door to your future. You think you're going through a setback, a place that you don't want to be. But God took you out into the desert to get you to your destiny. Like everyone else, you want to fit in, 
You want to belong. You want to be accepted. You don't like being abandoned or forsaken or rejected to be removed from associations. But often those moments in the wilderness motivated you to get you where you're destined to be. The greatest thing that can happen to you, God takes you out there. God leads you in that direction. And you see, you're seemingly alone when you're there. Like there's nobody. It's forcing you to go deeper, to go deeper into the Word of God, deeper into your faith, deeper into prayer, into God, what is your plan in all of this? What am I to make of this? It happened to Paul. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That's what God said. It's what Jesus said specifically to Paul and about him. Now, here's the problem. As soon as we see someone going off into a wilderness detour, everybody wants to grab them and rescue them and get them back on track. But God has a season out there where he's going to leave you alone except for himself. Temporary loneliness is a part of God's plan in your life. Temporary isolation is a part of God's plan for your life. But like everybody, we don't like that. We despise it. We reject the desert. You've had a breakup in a relationship. And the first thing somebody does, they try to get you immediately hooked up with somebody else. Well, you know, they tell you, I, I really never liked her anyways. Or, I, you know, he, he was just no good. And you could do better than that. And so right away, they try to get you out of your discomfort. In reality, God wants to take them out there in the desert because they need a deeper work of God in that environment where there is nobody but Jesus and them. That's it. Then when they get realigned and they remain realigned, they have learned God's ways. They have learned this is the way God does business in my life. And when he makes the decisions and I'm in agreement with him and submitted to him, then I get to the place that he's planned for me. You acquired some character, some integrity that will keep you going right when things start going wrong. I've seen many go straight to their destinations and it's gone to their heads. They get egotistical, they go crazy, they lose their bearing, they get caught up, they think they're better than everybody else. But when you've been through the wilderness, you've been humbled, you've been broken. God will have adjusted your character. And the result, you exit the wilderness with the right attitude. And when you arrive at your destination, you can handle the success. You're equipped to handle what God has allowed you to be trusted with. You remember where you came from. The wilderness will make you or break you. Now Moses was being educated and groomed for prime time in Egypt to become the next Pharaoh. The word says he was strong in speech and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. He was groomed for greatness, groomed to lead the greatest empire. But traumatic events in his life caused his speech to be impaired. Because you remember when God asked him to go to deliver the nation of Israel out of bondage, he said, I'm slow of speech, but the scripture says he was mighty in words at one time. 
when he was living in Pharaoh's palace, he had everything going his way. He was being groomed for the throne. Servants were at his disposal. Clothes, money, influence. In one moment where he was responding to the call of God to deliver his people from slavery, Moses acts impulsively, and he kills this Egyptian who was beating on a Hebrew slave. And Moses is banished from Egypt for life. He is removed from everything immediately, exiled. Instead of going right to the throne, Moses finds himself out in the wilderness. For how long? Forty years. A 180. On the backside of the desert for 40 years. For one impulsive act. Anytime you get into the desert, however, you put yourself there or God took you there, God will use that experience to get you to your destiny. God will use it. And in the desert, you know, you think your name is strange. (laughs) Moses met a girl named Zipporah. They're married. They have a son named Gershom, which means I've been a stranger in a foreign land. Moses was at a place in his life, he'd been, you know, he'd been raised in the palace of the greatest empire of his day. He was next in line to become Pharaoh. He's headed to the top. Everybody knew his name. Everybody knew who he was. When he showed up anywhere, anywhere in the Egyptian empire, everybody knew. That's Moses, son of Pharaoh. Now, he's like a stranger in a foreign land. He probably would awaken at night and look over at Zipporah and think, one great lady, but how did I end up out here with her? How? His father-in-law's name was Jethro. So he had gone from the palace straight to the Beverly Hillbillies, all in one move. I mean, just like that, out there, a country bumpkin for a father-in-law. He's in the wilderness. He's nowhere And he names his first son, I'm a stranger in a foreign land, okay? Anybody ever been there? You know, you wondered, this is so far from where I thought I was going to be, from what I thought I would be doing. I'm working a night shift when I'm supposed to be running a corporation, a stranger in a foreign land. I never dreamed I'd be laid off. I never dreamed I'd be doing this at this season of my life. I thought I'd be a successful business owner. I can't believe I am where I am. Have you ever had that question in your mind? And God's going to use the wilderness to give you a 180. Now watch. The longer the desert, the greater the banquet. Yes. If he's had you out there for a long time, it's because he's been preparing you for something so great, you will need strong character and a deep walk with God to manage it. So when you get there, you won't be puffed up, but you'll remember it was God who gave me the power and God who gave me this victory. And many have been taught, and you hear it all the time, and it's preached to you from every direction, hard places are not the will of God. You shouldn't be in a hard place for very long. You must quickly get out of the desert and live in the blessing all the time. Truth is, God will take you in the wilderness to form your character, to give you experience, to give you wisdom, to teach you patience, to teach you to trust God when nothing is happening, 
to learn to wait on the Lord, to be of good courage, that he will strengthen your heart. And he will teach you those things in those places. You won't learn those things when we're at the top of the mountain. You learn those things when you are in a dry place, in a desert. Listen to me. The desert is good. Learn to appreciate the lessons of the desert. You see, the goal, as Joseph, as a boy, saw the goal, he understood the journey, but as yet, you know, he didn't have the inward power to climb that hill to achieve that goal, and neither do you. But you think you do, so you go for it, and you find yourself halfway up the side of the mountain, and you've lost traction, and all of a sudden you come crashing back down. God knows you don't have the inward power, so he takes you out into the wilderness to strengthen you. The desert will give you the strength to stay focused when your season arrives, and your season is planned, and it will come, and God will get you there like he did Joseph. But first, there was the moment of rejection, and first there was the moment where he was dropped in a pit. But before the season of blessing, he was sold as a slave. And before the season of blessing, he rose to the top of the house of Potiphar, who was a great and wealthy man in the empire of the Egyptians. And he was such an influence in Potiphar's house that Potiphar said, I so trust this man, Joseph, I put him over my entire house. The only thing, quote, I have to worry about is what I eat for lunch. So I've got Joseph. And Joseph is tempted. And Joseph is put on the spot. And Joseph's integrity said, first, I cannot do this to my master. He would honor the man he worked for, even though he was a man of no faith in in Joseph's God and said, I cannot do this to him. Neither would it be pleasing in the sight of my God. It would be a egregious sin and did not yield to the temptation. As a result, falsely accused, sent to prison for a crime he never committed, lost everything, removed again to isolation. While in prison, asks one of those in prison with him, to remember him when he got before the Pharaoh. And of course, Joseph was completely forgotten. Amazing story, isn't it? It's painful experiences like this in the desert. They anchor you when you're realizing your successes. They hold you. You're saying, I don't like this place. I don't like where I am. I don't deserve to be here. I don't like what's happening in my life. This is not fair. Joseph could have said that, but you'll never find one word of that uttered from the mouth of Joseph. So you need to quit whining about where you are and listen to what James writes. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. Endurance in the Greek is this, inward strength. God's going to use you. He's got a plan for you, so he will take you on a wilderness detour. 
a 180. Sometimes it means like Paul's or Joseph's or Moses. One day you have the excitement. You've been running out there living like any way you choose. You know, you're, you're kind of your own person. You make your own decisions, living out in sin, hanging out at the club, living wildly, having all the fun you think you can enjoy. And then you've got an encounter that happens with Jesus Christ. And you're born again, and you look at your own wicked state, and you realize this is more than getting a ticket punch to heaven. This is going to change my entire life forever radically. There's going to be a 180 in my life. And suddenly you're isolated and immediately left alone in the desert. And what? If you're born again, you don't experience any change in the people that you hang with, the places you go, the lifestyle you live. You do not have a born-again experience. It radically changes a lot of your decision-making. When you're born again, you don't keep partying. You're not out binging. You're not sleeping around and coming to church singing, Glory to the Lamb. It doesn't work like that. When you're truly born again, you separate away from lifestyle that you once lived. Lifestyles that don't please God. Too many Christians are just like the world. They just want to kind of, you know, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven, but I want to live the way I want to live. And God's got to accept that. No, he doesn't. Because he said, when you get up in the morning, you pick up your cross and you deny yourself and you follow me. And you do it my way, Jesus says. Because if Jesus can turn water into wine, for some of you who indulge, he can turn wine back into water. And you'll be just as refreshed. Amen? I'm joyful because when I was born again, I came apart. I don't belong in that crowd any longer. I, I didn't live there any longer. And I know this is not popular preaching. This is not, you know, what you're going to get bill of fare somewhere else. But this is where joy, this is where joy is dug out deeply in your life. You, you know, you ride the fence. You want to live in both worlds. There is no joy in that. That's why you see so many grumpy people who call themselves Christians. Because they're trying to live in church, you know, and the Lord, and, and then during the rest of the week, I'm doing life the way. Well, when you come apart, when there's a difference in your life between the way you live and the culture says is okay. Some think Christians can live just like the world, party like the world, get drunk like the world, sleep around like the world, and it's all under grace. You're backslidden. That's the truth. You're backslidden. And when you're born again, others will notice the change, as they did with Saul, now Paul. <laughs> they knew. Your eyes are opened. You see yourself. Where once you were all in, and you tried to go along to get along, suddenly you say to yourself, that's, that's not right for me to do this. This is not the way God would want me to live out my life. And suddenly you experience the desert in that moment. Like Moses would say, I'm a stranger in a foreign land. When you're good and saved, you start bumping into other Christians. And, you know, they'll go, hey, brother, glory to God, you know, and hallelujah. Why don't you come to my house and watch the passion of the Christ and all that good stuff? You know, and you feel like, wow, this is intense. A stranger in a foreign land. And you see somebody in church and you kind of identify with that person how you doing? Oh, I'm good, brother. How are you? And they put that Christian chip in their head as well. And now they're all acting kind of the same. And you feel like a stranger 
in a foreign land. It's all by design. When you're born again, God will take you and you'll, you'll, you'll feel a sense of isolation because all of a sudden the crowd you once were accepted by are looking at you like something not right about you anymore. And, and you know, you feel lonely and you could have a date every Friday night and you could still have a date this coming Friday with those who want to still party and, you know, sleep around. But this is where intimacy with Jesus comes from. Because when you come apart, you've gone out into the desert. Its purpose is to get you headed in the right direction. He has a plan, and he's got a call for your life because he's got his hand on your life. You no longer need to be over there. It's not in that lifestyle that God's plan is going to unfold. So what you do is what Paul did. He said, I'm going to turn my desert into a library. I'm going to learn the word of God. I'm going to have revelation of who Jesus Christ is. I'm going to grow stronger. I will turn my desert experience into a sanctuary. So from party time on Friday night and Saturday night to Sunday morning prep for worship, the revelation of the word. Listen, the party timers are headed to an eternal hell. That's what Jesus said. If you choose that path, you're going to go with them. Don't deceive yourself. People have lost the fear of the Lord in our culture reverence for who God is, that your life is valuable to him, so much so he paid for it. And I've got to honor the one who made me and gave me life. So the Holy Spirit is saying, yeah, go for it, man. Preach it. Preach it. You know, you can't, you can't be like the world and live like the world. Someone is lying to you and your conscience is deceiving you when you start thinking that way. So when he really saves you, he takes you out into the desert for a season. Why? Because, you know, you dated every weekend. Now you're sitting there by yourself at home. And Satan comes in and he says, what a loser. And the rejection begins. And the isolation begins. And if you allow the Holy Spirit to assist you in the desert, because the devil is going to whisper to you, you're kind of lonely out here, aren't you? And you get a call from one of your old friends. Hey, we're having a good time. Where are you? Hold steady where God's placed you. Otherwise, in desperation, you know, I've got to have a, I've got to have a man. I've got to have a woman in my life. And I'm going to get married right away. And you start blowing up his or her phone with your text messages. And there's this point where you have to learn to be okay with you. As God is working in, his, in the deepest recesses of your life, you comprehend what God meant when he said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. After all, all of us only use about 25% of our brains. So seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So for a season, you're in the desert. And you're continuing to do what God's asked you to do. And you're being faithful. And all of a sudden, in walks the right person. The right door opens. The right connection happens. That's how God works in our lives. He's preparing you out here if you'll trust him. If you'll cease trying to take your life into your own hands. And this is for somebody here this morning in second service. You're messing stuff up when you remove yourself prematurely from that desert and then try to force the matter yourself. Remain steady 
until God moves. Because God sees that submitted heart postured, saying, not my will. If it's your will, I will remain here for now. I will do what you want. And when you go through hell, the desert, the season, it builds up strength. It builds up power in you. And the greater your success, the longer your desert. Moses probably wondered, you know, I'm being exiled to the desert. A year out here, that's not so bad. Three years? Ten freaking years. Really? Twenty years. (laughs) Thirty years. Forty years. (laughs) Wow. The greater your success, the longer your desert. He was a man like you. He understood the pressures, the difficulties. Why did Moses have to remain in the wilderness for 40 years? You ever ask yourself that question? I'm sure he asked it every day. What am I doing out here? Four decades later. Because Moses' assignment was to be the deliverer of God's people. And guess where he had to take them? Into the very experience he'd survived for 40 years. Okay? When other people are complaining and they're whining, Moses is settled. I've been here. I'm not afraid. Calm down. It's going to be okay. You just got bit. Well, I know how that feels. I've been out here for four decades. Scorpion stung you? Hey, I've been stung 50 times since I've been out here in the desert. Okay? Put this on it. It's going to be fine. I know where there's some shade out here in the desert. I know where you can find a little bit of Peace and quiet. Listen, Moses had to carry three and a half million people on his back in the wilderness for 40 years, but God had kept Moses in the wilderness for 40 years, showing them it can be done. And as followers of Jesus, we're aliens in a foreign land. At times we're wandering and wondering where we're going. I'm here to say to you, when God's going to do something great in your life, first the desert then 180 towards your destination. After that desert experience, he turns. He will separate you from damaging relationships. You'll experience rejection. You'll experience some pain in that. You're going to go through that process having been born again. Listen to me. Every inclination in you is going to say, let me get out of here. I don't want to live in this place. In reality, if you're half done, You're only going to attract others who are half done. But once you are settled with who you are, you learn to trust the Lord. You will echo with Paul, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Because if everything is great, I'm content and I'm pleased with God. If nothing's going right and I'm in the desert, I will turn this desert into a library I will turn it into a sanctuary. I'll express to the Lord, what am I doing here? But I know I can trust you even though I'm here. I will learn to worship you. So you become one of the most dangerous competitors the devil will have ever faced. You will be like a person who is skilled beyond the average on a team that's called ambidextrous. 
He can drive down the court from his right side, or he can drive toward the basket equally as well from the left side. He can get behind the plate with the bat on his right shoulder, or depending on who's pitching, he can turn around and put the bat on his left shoulder and hit for average just as well from either shoulder. You are equally as good whether you're going right or you're going left, and you're settled because you've got the right people, whether you're in good times or you are in bad times. If you've got the right people and the right job and circumstances are making you happy, but if things have gone south and and everything has turned ugly in your life, you're still a worshiper, you're still tied to your purpose, you still are focused on your destiny, God must need me to go deeper because he's got me out here in the middle of nowhere in order to get me from here to the promised land. And you become an adversary that the enemy will regret the day he met you. Because whether things are doing as well as you want them to or as bad as you could ever describe, like Paul, you say, I have learned to be content no matter the condition I find myself in. Do you believe that God is in charge of your life? Do you have a fundamental sense that there is a God who made you, gave you life, and now wants to see the steps of your life take you to your destiny and purpose? But because of this old character we call our nature, We don't always agree with where God's trying to take us at the moment. We don't like it. And that's where the test is. And that's where the battle will be fought and won or lost. At that junction. And either I will go with the Lord on the journey. Now here whether he was being threatened with death by his brothers, thrown into the pit, sold to the Arabs, sold to Potiphar, accused of a deed he never committed, let alone thought about, pitched into a prison. The common denominator through all those experiences with Joseph were these words. But God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. And that same God, no matter what your circumstance, is with you. And if you'll learn to do what Moses, Paul, and Joseph show us how to do, having God with us We'll come out of the desert. And coming out of the desert into the promises that God has planned for us. I don't know about you. I want to get there his way. And I want it in his season. And I want only his reward. Because everything else holds no water. So, stand with me. Worship the Lord.
love the Lord. 